Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. listeners welcome back to buried motives thank you for choosing to spend some time with us today we are super appreciative and we have another listener request for you we do we want to give a shout out to jason he sent us a case idea through our facebook messenger and so we're excited to bring this one to you today and as soon as i saw it i knew that this was a case for melissa so i had just barely read the synopsis of the article and then i sent it off to her so i don't know what happens in it so i'm excited to hear it That's because you know that when I read a book, I'm always trying to guess the ending before I get to it, right? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. My need to know is really hard to suppress. But with today's case, the murderer fixed that problem by writing her own story and then enacting it out with deadly consequences. This is so wild to me. I just can't even imagine that this happens, that you write a book about a murder and then you copy your book that you wrote about the murder. And then not expect to get caught. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bizarre. Murder 101. Don't write a novel about the murder you are about to commit. (laughs) But she didn't technically write a novel. It's an essay. Oh, an essay. Yes. She gives her opinions on how to. (laughs) See, this is how little I know about it because it just said a novelist. So I assume she had written a novel, but it's not then. No, it's not. She wrote an essay. But don't worry. I'm going to tell you all the details. So you'll be filled in by the time we get to the end. Perfect. And the other exciting thing and a unique thing about this case is... It's hot off the press, so to speak, because it just happened. We actually had to wait for the sentencing until Melissa and I could record this today. This case is just wrapping up. So there may be appeals and new things that change as time progresses. Yeah. If there's any new developments since we recorded a few days ago, we'll put it in our social medias or we'll let you know about them in future episodes. So Nancy Brophy is the author that we're going to talk about today. She was born Nancy Lee Crampton in Wichita Falls in Texas on June 16th, 1950. Oh, so this is like a grandma murderer. She is. (laughs) I was like, wait, doing the math in my mind real quick there. Absolutely. She is. Her parents, Barbara and Roger Crampton, were both lawyers and provided a lasting example of a love story. Their devotion to each other began on their first date, Gone with the Wind, when it first came out in theaters. No way. Uh Uh-huh. And lasted through their 51 years of marriage. Aw, it was because they went and saw Gone with the Wind as their (laughs) first date. Yes. How iconic is that? I thought that was so awesome. From all reports, they just provided this loving example for her of what marriage actually should be like and what a loving relationship was. Which should be a good thing. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's where she developed her passion for writing love stories. So is it because her husband doesn't meet her love expectations that everything goes awry? Not at all. Oh, here I'm trying to pull a Melissa. I'm trying to figure (laughs) it out at the very beginning. (laughs) We'll get to it. Okay. So during her childhood, Nancy denies any trauma from ever happening. There was no abuse or neglect. Her life, for the most part, right up until the murder, seemed pretty ordinary. She was the middle child between her older sister and younger brother. So that was like the only red flag that I could come up with. (laughs) She's aiming that at me. Middle children get things done. (laughs) We love a middle child. And we just covered a middle child. We did, yeah. (laughs) With Keith Jefferson. So I thought, oh, 
that can be your only red flag. Now I'm going to have to look into that when I do up our dirtbag details. Do middle children commit more crimes? Oh, that would be so interesting, Mm. actually. Yeah. I know they do better in the business world. Because they're used to having to fight their way and get noticed. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Nancy graduated from Wichita High School in 1968 and then went off to university in Houston to study economics. She would be the only child not to follow her parents' footsteps of becoming a lawyer. So she's paving her own path. She is. Yeah. She's not fitting the family mold. She would find success in her professional life, though, despite not being a lawyer, by combining her knowledge of the business world and her love of cooking in the catering business. I think good for her for doing her own thing. Mm -hmm. You have to take your own path, what you enjoy. Yeah, I think so, too. And that's just what Nancy did. At the age of 27, she married 33-year-old Thomas M. Williams in 1977 on December 6th in her hometown. So she didn't go very far. There were scattered reports of him being a police officer, but I couldn't find anything official to actually confirm it. But it sounds like her first marriage was to a police officer, and it didn't actually last that long. When it failed, Nancy made plans to move to Oregon in 1990. Okay. Once settled in Oregon, she became a student at the Western Culinary Institute, which would later become Le Cordon Bleu College of Culinary Arts. It was there during her first day of classes that she met Daniel Brophy, a new instructor at the Institute. The two developed a friendship during their student-teacher exchanges, despite Daniel being married. (laughs) I bet she got an A in that class. (laughs) I don't want to make any speculations. but (laughs) What's that song, Hot for Teacher? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's actually how it went down. But their friendship did continue through his divorce in 1994. And in 1999, the two had a very large wedding ceremony. Oh, so it wasn't necessarily a scandal. No. Okay, good. They had just met when they were student and teacher. Okay. And they had shared a friendship. So it wasn't really like a Mrs. Robinson scenario. No, I'm not really sure it was like that at all. (laughs) But the couple didn't actually get around to doing the paperwork for their marriage to make it official until June 14th, 2016. What? So 17 years later is when they actually filed the paperwork. So they had this great big wedding ceremony, but then actually filed the paperwork 17 years later. So then when are they technically married? The day that they got married or when the paperwork is filed? Well, when the paperwork is filed is their official wedding date. (laughs) So they were shacked up for 17 years after their wedding. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's hilarious. I'm not really sure what went on there. If it was just like a big oops or... I thought I was bad at procrastinating. (laughs) So after their wedding ceremony, so back in 1999, Daniel continued to teach at the Institute and Nancy operated a very successful catering business in the Northwest Portland area called Chef Du Jour Catering. In 1999, her taxes showed her business making about $500,000. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. She was quite successful. And that's almost 10 times what Daniel was making teaching. So she was the breadwinner of the family. And this was 1999. Mm -hmm. So that would be worth even more than what it is today. Yeah. It's almost $900,000 today. Wow. In a year. That's incredible. So she was doing a good business. She had over 25 employees and she was raking in the dough. That's a lot of crab cakes for $900,000 a year. (laughs) It is. Good for her. I always feel, okay, now that I said, like, good for her, but knowing she becomes a murderer, it's like, can we encourage them in these early years? I don't know. I think she had a lot going for her. She did. And it's unfortunate the way she turned. Well, and I'm interested, just as you were in the Chris Benoit case last week, I'm interested how this all is going to go south. Yeah, because she has it all going for her. Yeah, good childhood. Mm -hmm. She's making the money. She's got a loving marriage. Well, unfortunately, though, Nancy's financial success would not continue long after their marriage. 
In 2001, when financial markets started to fail, so did her business, and she was forced to downsize. So it turned pretty quickly. But the setback wouldn't keep her from pursuing new dreams. She was a go-getter, and so she was just moving on to the next big thing that she wanted to pursue. She had always had an interest in writing and had even published a pamphlet in college entitled Between Your Navel and Your Knees that rose some eyebrows. Ooh la la. (laughs) Nancy is progressive for her time. Yeah. Well, she just had a knack about coming up with these titles that were eye-catching. Yeah, I'd say Between Your Navel and Your Knees. Mm. When people asked her what the pamphlet was about, she would kind of give her a little eyebrow raise and be like, well, what do you think? (laughs) She was a character. Sounds like it. Yeah. In 2011, she renewed her passion and started a blog and began working on a series of romantic suspense novels. That's the best of both worlds. Romance Mm -hmm. and suspense. She wrote stories that involved star-crossed lovers and the trials that would keep them apart. Nancy self-published her first novel called Hell on the Heart and would continue to release books until 2017. Even though she was pretty clever with her titles, overall she had pretty minimal success with her writing. Oh, Yeah, it was too bad, but her titles were very catchy. So did she kill her husband so that she would get a lot of publicity for the story that she wrote? (laughs) That's actually one of my theories. Really? Yes, (laughs) because now I want to go and read her books. How many of her details did she hide in her books? Yeah, Mm -hmm. but then you don't want to support her because she was a dirtbag and murdering her husband. (laughs) That's right. And so that's particularly why I didn't purchase her books to read them. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes you wonder, how does an author decide on which themes and topics they want to write about anyways? And where does she get all of her juicy romance ideas from? Was she just that woman that had a really active imagination? Or Dan was just a really big inspiration in bed? Well, I think she's got some juicy in her because of her pamphlet title that she had just published before. Yeah, she was just a cheeky woman, right? Uh But it does make you wonder, like, how does an author decide? It's whatever suits their fancy, right? I think a lot of that has to come from your imagination because there's no way that you've lived all of these different things that you write about. Well, in her case, hopefully not because mostly she writes about murder. Yeah, maybe she's a serial killer. And this is just the first one we're finding out about. No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. (laughs) But Nancy and Dan seem to have a pretty idealistic relationship if you listen to their friends and their family's reports. They both were pursuing careers that they enjoyed and spending time on hobbies that challenged them. For Dan, that was harvesting wild mushrooms and growing herbs, and he would sell them to his students. (laughs) Now I know where she's getting her ideas from. He was not a drug dealer. It was the magic mushrooms. (laughs) That is not how it sounds. He was a chef. Okay, but listening to you, you're like, I don't know where she gets all her ideas from. But her husband had this hobby where he grew mushrooms. I'm like, um. And herbs? Yeah. I think I know where she got her ideas from. No, that was not how it was. (laughs) I had to make that jump, though. Come on. As soon as I was telling you it, I was like, oh, this is how she's going to interpret that. (laughs) No, that's not how I meant it. And be honest, listeners, were you thinking the exact same thing? Yeah, totally. Probably. (laughs) But no, Dan was a chef. And so he enjoyed collecting mushrooms for his meals. And he would grow spices and herbs in his gardens to sell fresh things to his students to teach them. No different than us growing our gardens every year then. Yeah, that's right. And so that was his hobby. He really, really loved, you know, that organic gardening, out in the wild stuff. And Nancy had her writing. So they were just jiving as a couple. There were no signs of domestic violence in the marriage. And most people noted that Dan and Nancy shared fondness and admiration for one another. 
They were affectionate towards each other, and they rarely quarreled, despite the opposite personalities that they were both described as having. Hmm. So family members and Nancy would describe them as polar opposites. Dan was quiet and loved to be up early. He enjoyed working outdoors and raising chickens and had this very dry sense of humor. In the kitchen, he was strict but fair with his students and inspired them to push themselves. Nancy was the chatty one, who preferred to lounge in bed and write all morning. While both she and Dan were trained and enjoyed cooking, he handled most of the meal prep in the house and she handled the organization and the running of the house. So they had very distinct roles in their house. And it seems that they had very distinct areas as well. They kind of kept to themselves. Dan had a room downstairs and Nancy had the master bedroom upstairs. The area that she considered hers was kept clean and orderly. And other areas that were considered Dan's domain, they were a little bit less tidy. Oh, so she would only clean her part and he would clean his. Yeah. That's interesting. So they almost live like these two separate lives in their home. Okay. Do they have children? Hopefully this isn't offensive, but to me it sounds like a house that doesn't have children. No, they don't. Otherwise your kids are running amok and making all the areas of the house messy. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Especially when they're little. You don't get your own area when you have children. No, he had a son from his previous marriage that he was estranged from for quite a long time up until that boy was about 21 years old. Okay. And he started to develop a relationship with him once he had turned 21. But up until that time in their marriage, it had been just the two of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a pretty good life right now, though. Yeah. They're both doing their things, but yeah. they they mesh really well. Opposites attract. That's what they say anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it sounds like they still did lots together. Yeah. Yep. Sounds great so far. And it wasn't official that he slept downstairs, but most people agreed that his room was downstairs and Nancy kept their master bedroom pretty much to herself upstairs. So they didn't always sleep together. So maybe it wasn't quite as hot and heavy as the romance that she was writing about in her books, but it was a nice, steady, dependable relationship. Right. But a lot of couples, especially as they get older, have separate rooms. Oh, absolutely. That didn't raise a flag for me, to be honest. They lived in the same house their whole 26 years of marriage, or the whole 26 years that they were together. Right. (laughs) And in this house, Dan could garden and raise chickens, and Nancy could write. So they had this kind of idealistic lifestyle. So what goes wrong? Well, it was idealistic from the outside. Uh. Nancy alluded to this in a post on her author's website. On the site, which was last updated in 2018, Nancy describes her life as living in the beautiful green and very wet Northwest, married to a chef whose mantra is, life is a science project. As a result, there are chickens and turkeys in my backyard, a fabulous vegetable garden, which also grows tobacco for an insecticide, and a hot meal on the table every night. She ends her description with a caution for those that view her description as idealistic, saying, For those of you who have longed for this, let me caution you. The old adage is true. Be careful what you wish for. When the gods are truly angry, they grant us our wishes. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. That's ominous. Is that not so <laughs> ominous? It really is. And I thought, oh my goodness, if my spouse wrote this on a website for the whole world to see doesn't this sound like she's not happy with her life yeah I'd be like well what the heck honey (laughs) exactly I'd be like uh what do you mean by that I'm growing a special herb to put in your dinner tonight (laughs) man I would love a man to cook me dinner every night well that's what I was thinking when you were reading that I'm like this does sound fantastic and then she's like if you're thinking this sounds great and I'm like oh she's talking to me now Yeah, but I think maybe what she was alluding to is that whatever people were seeing from the outside, the couple's lives were not without their struggles. And maybe with her being this writer, maybe she was thinking that in real life, you can have this idyllic perfection. 
which any of us who have been in a relationship or are in a relationship with anybody, you know that is not true. All our marriages and relationships have struggles and you have to work at it. It's not sunshine and rainbows all of the time. That's right. Real life, just like in the books, you always have some conflict. Right. Right. But if she's writing all day long every day, that's where her brain is being focused on is this perfect romance novel. Mm -hmm. At this point in their relationship, Dan and Nancy seem to have been developing very different views on how they wanted to spend their retirement. Dan was content to keep things just as they were, but Nancy was craving something more than the simple life that they were living. Dan conceded that their current home probably wasn't the best setup because Nancy had trouble with her knees and there were quite a few stairs in their home. So he conceded that, yes, they were probably going to need a new home, but they couldn't decide between the two of them where or which type of home they wanted to go into next. Hmm. He felt our new ranch house was the solution. He wanted to continue gardening and doing all of the things he enjoyed. And Nancy wanted something completely different. She wanted to travel and explore and possibly settle down in Portugal. Oh, wow. She was wanting some adventure. Yeah. She didn't want the lifestyle that he wanted at all anymore. Which happens sometimes with couples. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, both their dreams were a little bit bigger than their pocketbooks, So That's the story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> all my dreams are bigger than my pocketbook. <laughs> For Dan and Nancy, between 2014 and 2017, the couple fell on some bad luck. It seemed to have started when a few of Dan's side business adventures ended, along with the previous cash flow that they had provided for them. They began the process of readying to sell their home after finding out that subdividing their land would not be as beneficial as they first thought. So they, they thought they could bring in extra money by just subdividing their land, but it wasn't going to work that way. And so they figured that they would actually have to sell their home. But to sell their home... It needed some improvements, and so they had to sink money into their home to get it ready to sell. They hired a landscaper to take care of some of the landscaping that needed to be done so that the property's curb appeal could improve. Hmm. I'm surprised Dan wouldn't have done that. Sounds like he has a green thumb. Yeah, I think it was just too overwhelming. It sounded yeah. like their property was a little bit more run down than he could handle. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. During this period of time, the couple also faced numerous medical and vet bills in quick succession, which left them with a considerable amount of credit card debt as well. They had also borrowed $50,000 from Dan's dad for Nancy to open up a sandwich shop, and they had been unable to pay more than 25% of that back. Oh. And Nancy had financed the publishing of several of her books that were not selling as she had hoped. So instead of having a publisher publish them, she had fronted the money to have them published herself. Their mortgage was in arrears, and things were getting a little bit desperate. Yeah, that's making me panic just hearing about it. Debt kills you. Mm -hmm. That is such a strain. It is on any relationship, whether it's it a good is. relationship or a bad relationship. And it's just an ongoing stress. Like when you're in debt, that is weighing on your shoulders all the time. There's no reprieve from it ever. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the things that they felt that they needed to do, like sell their house to get out of debt, were having them incur more debt to do it. Oh. And then you're just hoping that you'll make enough money off of the sale of your house to pay off those debts. Yeah. As a solution, in September 2017, they took out 50% of Dan's 401k, about $35,000, and got a $5,000 loan against a life insurance policy to help pay off some of their debt, just to relieve some of the strain. Yeah, because those interest payments will kill you alone. Mm -hmm. And this, for a time, would relieve some of the financial strain. But their lifestyle and pattern of overspending caught up with them again. Remember, they went from making 
awesome money with her catering business and they had developed a lifestyle that they were used to and they never adjusted their budget after that happened. And so they just continually began to fall in debt again. And they began again to default on their $1,530 mortgage payments. Yikes. Both Dan and Nancy picked up side jobs to supplement their income and Nancy's side job was selling insurance and Medicare policies for commission during this time period. (laughs) Of course it was. Just when life looked like it couldn't get much worse for Nancy and Dan, their romance turned to a tragedy. On the morning of June 2nd, 2018, at 9.54, a friend called Nancy to say that there was an incident going on at the Oregon Culinary Institute, where Dan was at work for the day. Nancy tried calling a cell, but no one answered. She called him again and texted him, but still no answer. Nancy's first reaction was to stay away and let the police do their job. She told her friend that Dan would tell her later about what had happened. She spoke to her mother-in-law shortly after that about the incident that was going on, and she was encouraged by her mother-in-law to go down to the school and see what was going on. She would arrive at the school at 10.28. It was there at the school that Nancy was informed by a police officer at 10.47 that Dan had been shot in his classroom that morning and had been declared dead. What? He had been shot twice. The first shot from behind had passed through the spine into the heart, and left lung, probably (gasps) paralyzing him. Oh my goodness. The second shot entered the front of his chest from close range and went directly into his heart as well. So one from the back and one from the front? Mm -hmm. So there was two shooters. When he was shot in the back, he fell onto his back and then the shooter came and stood over him (gasps) and shot him in the chest. Just like in the movies, kick them over by their shoulder so you can look in their eyes when you kill them. Yep. Ooh, that's cold. So cold. When his students found him shortly after, he was pale. They attempted CPR, but it wouldn't revive their beloved chef. The crime scene was processed, and besides the two spent 9mm shell casings, everything else was in order in the classroom. There were no signs of forced entrance, and nothing appeared to be stolen based on the inventory given by the school officials. Dan's wallet was still in his pocket, with all of the credit cards accounted for, and $77 in cash. His truck keys and cell remained on the counter where he had dropped them when he had entered the classroom. His pocket knife was still clipped to his pocket. He had made no move to protect himself from the person that shot him. Oh, it probably happened so fast too. And to get shot in the back first, you'd barely process what was happening before you're flung over and see who it is. No, he had went in that day. They were doing a live fire scenario in his classroom. So he had went in and he was filling water and ice buckets in the sink with his back towards the door. And the person had come in, shot him in the back, he had fallen, and then they had come and stood over him. That's terrible. Mm -hmm. They also believe, because of the small time frame that Dan was alone at the school, that the murderer must have known Dan's routine for that morning. Mm -hmm. Dan had disarmed the alarm at 721, and the next instructor to arrive had done so at 735, and proceeded to his classroom without noticing anything. So it's a very short window of time. And often they say when a crime scene looks like that, it means that the victim knew the perpetrator. Yeah. So she kills him for the insurance money. Yeah. She has lawyers for parents. She was married to a cop. She's enthralled with anything with police work. Ah. And so she tries to get away with it. Oh, for sure. You Mm. would start to feel almost confident that you could. Oh, and she is very confident that she could. During the death notification, police questioned Nancy about what she remembers from that morning. She tells them that she woke up around 6.45 when Dan was having a shower, but didn't get up out of bed. She remembers Dan collecting towels in a bucket to clean up some water from a leak that she had discovered the previous day, and that he had left the house after that while she stayed at home and had not gone anywhere the whole morning. 
When asked if they owned a gun, she told them about the 9mm Glock 17 that she had, saying that she had purchased the gun for personal protection after being scared about what happened at the Sandy Hook school shooting and the Marjorie Douglas shooting. Oh no. Yep. But had since realized that it was a big mistake. She wasn't comfortable with the gun. Oh. That she had kept it in the closet of her bedroom and had never touched the gun after she had bought it. So police asked if they could inspect the gun, thinking perhaps Dan might have brought it to work and may have been aware of some threat that was against him. And that's why he was going to bring a gun to work. And Nancy agrees to go to the house with them and go and get it. She doesn't realize with all her research that they can tell if a gun's been fired. She's a good researcher. Okay, let's keep going. I'm intrigued. An officer actually offers to drive her to the house, having compassion on this elderly woman who has just learned that her husband was brutally shot for no apparent reason. Yeah, she would be the last person they're suspecting. Mm -hmm. As one of the police officers takes Nancy home, others are sent to follow up on any surveillance video that might have been available in the area that morning. And what they find is very curious. The van that their colleague just drove Nancy home in shows up driving past the school that morning after she had said that she had never left the house. Later, when they pull the video footage from the surrounding areas, they see Nancy's van circulating the area repeatedly. Based on videos from nearby businesses and a max light rail platform, police learn that Nancy drove into the downtown area in the vicinity of school at 6.39 that morning, almost an hour earlier than the arrival of Dan's white pickup truck, which is also caught on the surveillance footage. Yeah, so she's getting caught in some lies here. Mm -hmm. After 7.08, the van is not seen on any of the cameras again until Nancy is seen leaving the area in her minivan at 7.28, which is caught on the Bellagio's pizza camera from the interior of their store, indicating that she had stayed in the vicinity of her husband's classroom for that 20 minutes. Yeah. It's kind of interesting that criminals don't think about how you're probably being recorded because nowadays, anywhere you go, Everyone has a camera. Right. Yeah. But she seems super, super smart, just not as up to date on what technology is these days. (laughs) But she's not tech savvy. She is tech savvy, but just not up to the level that the police are. So she knew that there were no cameras in the school. She knew where to park, that the school cameras wouldn't pick her up. But Uh. she wasn't thinking about the surveillance videos that other stores would have inside their stores. Yeah. And so the police got all of those cameras. And they're watching through the front windows of businesses. And that's how they catch her van going through. So it's not necessarily the the cameras that she was expecting and she was avoiding. Right. That that she was caught on. Smart police work. So smart. So the police put in a call to the officer that's with Nancy. And they ask them to send photos of the van to confirm that it's the same one. And because of a large mark down the side of the van, they're able to confirm that, yeah, this is the same vehicle. (laughs) Get your vehicles fixed because Mm -hmm. it's like a birthmark or a tattoo. It'll set you apart. Yep. Nancy's a little perturbed by the officer taking photos of her van, but she has no qualms about handing over her gun to the police. It's still in the original box like Nancy said it would be, but when police open the box, their expert eyes notice that while everything looks to be just where it belongs, the barrel of the gun doesn't look like it's seated correctly. Hmm. The police go to the neighbors to confirm Nancy's claim that she was at home looking for her dogs that morning. And the neighbors confirm that shortly after 9 a.m., Nancy showed up at their house very upset and frantic looking for her dogs that had run off. They probably hadn't even run off. She just wanted an alibi. Uh Uh-huh. I'm Matt Cundall, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. 
Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. They had never seen the dogs that morning at all, but her cell phone GPS did not show it leaving the house until shortly after 10 when she went to the school at her mother-in-law's encouragement. So she left her phone at home? Uh-huh. Huh. So she's put a lot of thought into this. She's put so much thought into it. All of these things together raise eyebrows, but the police decide to continue with the processing of the crime scene to see what other stories the evidence will reveal. While police are processing her husband's murder, Nancy began the difficult task of spreading the news to friends and family. She posted on Facebook, For my Facebook friends and family, I have some sad news. My husband and best friend, Chef Dan Brophy, was killed yesterday morning. I am struggling to make sense of everything. There's a candlelight vigil at Oregon Culinary Institute tomorrow, Monday, June 4th at 7 p.m. I'm overwhelmed. Please save your phone calls for a few days until I can function. Wow. Other than the people that she had already been in contact with earlier that morning, she notified no one else. Not even her stepson, Nathaniel, and his family. Oh, wow. No, it was his grandmother that actually had to call and tell him. She didn't want to face the music, I guess. But having something tragic like this happening, everyone grieves in a different way. And if you don't know what's happened, you can't really fault her. No. And honestly, I can actually understand her reaction a little bit. It's hard news to deliver and you're still processing it. So you would want to avoid it. Right. If that was the case. Yeah. If you weren't the dirtbag who'd murdered him. (laughs) That's right. Because now it's just infuriating to read it now. Mm -hmm. Because how sad are you actually? No, you're probably freaking out and trying to stay low. You don't want anybody to notice that you're acting off. Right. And so until she can calm herself down and start to act normal again, she's going to keep everybody away. And it's the perfect ruse. It is. Because no one's going to question that. A grieving wife wanting time alone to process things. No one's going to question and get things in order, figure out. Well, I'm sure she already has her next steps already planned. Well, I think this is where it kind of falls a little bit apart for her because over the following days, her behavior continues to raise even more eyebrows, especially those of the police officers investigating the case. She appears very collected in public to the police officers. Friends too notice that she's not really that upset, but they actually just chalk it up to Nancy being Nancy. She's always been that kind of stiff upper lip person and very seldomly ever expressed emotion in public. But on June 4th, a workers' compensation claim was submitted because Dan's death had occurred at his job site. (gasps) So Nancy's pushing through paperwork now. What? She calls just four days after this claim is submitted to get an update. I would not have even thought about workers' comp. Like you think of life insurance, but she's like, oh, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. I'll murder him while he's at work. Then I get life insurance and workers' comp. Well, remember, she was selling insurance and Medicare. (laughs) And this workers' compensation claim is hundreds of thousands of dollars. I never even thought about like 
getting murdered at work made that being a claim like injury causing death at work sure but I never even mm-hmm. thought about murder at work crazy right that is insane she had covered all of her bases what a sly little fox she yep. is on June 6, Nancy asked detectives for a letter for the insurance company that would state that she isn't a suspect so that they will pay out the policy. Oh, that's fishy. Uh-huh. Now alarm bells are really ringing for the cops, and they start to investigate Nancy for the murder of her husband. Yeah. Now, as we cover this next part, remember how we always joke about what it would be like for somebody to look at our browser histories? Yes. For Nancy... That would really be the start of her downfall. (laughs) But she can kind of explain it away a little bit because she writes these murder novels. That's the explanation she gives for everything that they find that's suspicious in her browser history. She just says, well, I was researching it for my novel. So we can't use that as an excuse. It didn't work for her anyway. We would be in trouble. Yes. (laughs) Which of our (laughs) listeners would post bail for us? (laughs) If everyone chipped in. (laughs) So what police found was that on November 27, 2017, there were searches done on a laptop that was in their home looking for ghost guns. Ghost guns are guns that are bought, disassembled in a kit, and then they're put together by the user. Because they are put together after they are purchased, they have no serial number and are pretty much untraceable. <gasps> what? Mm-hmm. How? That is insane. You can look <laughs> it up and you can find websites that will sell you ghost guns. I'm not going to look it up because I don't (laughs) want that on my search history, too. (laughs) Wow, that's wild. Mm -hmm. And a similar search was done again on December 19th. And on December 24th, during the hours that Dan was still at work and no one else was at their home yet, another ghost gun website is visited and a semi-automatic 9mm Glock 19 kit was purchased. It's kind of a loophole where they're not selling you the gun, they're selling you gun parts. That's right. And that's how that works. Mm -hmm. Okay. This gun kit was delivered in early January and police found it in the couple's storage unit. It had never been assembled and it's not a big surprise because apparently they're super hard to put together. Like you need some actual knowledge of guns to put them together. It's Um, not like an Ikea dresser. Nope. (laughs) Even those are difficult with those pictures. But she had purchased this gun kit and then police assumed that she wasn't able to actually put it together. But she did not tell police about it. They found it on their own in her storage unit. The only gun that she told the police about and that she was super willing to hand over to them was the 9mm Glock 17 that she kept in her bedroom. Okay. Because this was just a laptop that was in their home. They couldn't really confirm who had been doing the searches. But on this one, they could confirm that nobody else was in the home except for Nancy. And this is when this search occurred. So that they were able to confirm that, yes, it was Nancy doing the searches. Right. In mid-January, Nancy began researching the firing mechanisms of guns. And on February 15, 2018, she researched a Portland gun show and attended it two days later. There, she purchased a completed Glock 17 9mm for $500 from J&B Firearm Sales and received directions to a public gun range. This is the gun that she showed police. Police interviewed the gun salesman and asked what condition guns are sold in. And he confirms that the gun would have never been sold in an unseated position because it wouldn't have been usable that way. Oh. And so that's not how he would have given her the gun. Right. So right there, they've caught her in that she said she never touched it. And now they know that there has been somebody that's manipulated this gun. Two days later, she's researching Glock 17 slide and barrels and purchased one on eBay on February 23rd. It arrived February 28th in Dan's name. 
but police were uncertain of who actually picked up the barrel. Huh. So she hid it under her husband's name, saying, well, yeah. that was the part that Dan ordered. I had nothing to do with that. But it was on her eBay account. That's wild. But that's not weird that you would order something from each other's accounts, right? And it is unusual that she's choosing a gun. Most women will use a less violent way to murder. Wait till you hear her essay. Oh, no. This slide and barrel would fit perfectly on the gun that she had purchased from the gun show, the one she showed police claiming that she had never touched. It is the barrel of the gun that leaves the identifying tool marks on bullet casings. Right. So when Nancy handed over her gun, they did ballistics on the casings and they didn't match. Oh, so it wasn't shot from that. It wasn't shot from that barrel. From that barrel. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's why she's just replaced the barrel then. That's right. Nancy never told police about the ghost gun kit or the second barrel that she had purchased. And the second barrel has never been recovered. That is so smart. Isn't that clever? Yeah. So you still have the gun, but you've just replaced the barrel. Yeah. Oh, of course I have a gun. And it's the exact gun that matches. And it's a brand new barrel, so it will look like it's never been shot. Yep. She just switched out the barrel. Wow. Nancy, you could have used your brain for something other than this. Crazy, right? That's what's always so sad when these people are super smart and then it goes to waste. And they're, oh, what should I do with my intelligence? Oh, I know. I'll become a dirtbag. Yeah. On March 17th, her browser history shows that she searched up how to clean a Glock 17 gun. And this search would evolve over the next few weeks on how to assemble, disassemble, and clean a Glock 17. So she was becoming very familiar with how to take apart and put it back together and to clean it after. Well, she was probably so confident that she wasn't going to get caught that she didn't even worry about her browser histories. She did delete her eBay account after the purchase. Okay. So she was trying to hide her trail that way. But that's a third party thing, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. So Nancy was really mindful of the day of the murder to make sure she left her cell phone at home so that it wouldn't be tracked. But she didn't necessarily think about prior to the murder. Police would use Nancy's cell phone to track her whereabouts and find out that on March 26, after doing a YouTube search on how to shoot a 9mm, she headed out to an area that coincides with the Nork Fork Wolf Creek Public Range. At this shooting range, there is no check-in at the range and her movements can only be confirmed by her cell phone GPS. After determining that it was safe during her first short visit there, she returned the next day and stayed for an extended period of time. Both times, Dan was at work for both of these trips. Uh, So she can't say, oh, he had my phone. That's right. And that's kind of surprising that there's no check-in at the gun range. Well, apparently it was just this one that you parked your car in the parking lot and then you walk straight onto the range. Hmm. And so there's no check-in. And she had went to scope it out the day before to make sure that nobody would be able to spot her while she was there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When questioned, Nancy would say that the research, gun kit, and gun parts were all just really in-depth research for the next novel that would feature a strong female heroine that had to assemble a gun. Which you could believe with her being a writer. Yeah. As for motive, it was not a big secret that Dan and Nancy's finances were a little bit of a hot mess. But when forensic accountants reviewed it... The police learned that while their mortgage was going unpaid, Nancy was continuing to pay out over $1,000 in insurance premiums each month. Whoa. That's a lot of money. Yeah. When you're not being able to pay your mortgage. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. For several insurance policies. Nancy had sold herself all of these policies and was the sole beneficiary on every single one of them. Oh, insurance policy cases are the worst. Because you're really putting a number value on somebody's life. 
Mm-hmm. Like you can understand, not that we condone, but you can understand a revenge killing or a domestic abuse, like self-defense or, you know, all these other things. But insurance, it just seems like such a wasteful murder. Not that there's a good murder, but do you know what I mean? It seems so senseless. Like don't kill someone for money. Change your situation. Yeah. The fact that you can get to an amount where you're like, yeah, that's enough. I'll kill them for that. And sometimes they're not even huge amounts. Like you haven't told us yet what Nancy's amount would be, but sometimes people will kill for $10,000, $20,000. And it's just crazy that yeah. they would put that value amount on someone's life whom you're married to and you've shared this life and have had loving moments with. Exactly. So police also learned that while the deed of the house was in both Nancy and Dan's name, the mortgage was held only in Dan's name. So police guesstimated that the sale of their house would leave Nancy with about a $350,000 profit. Just the sale of her home. Not including the other no. policies. In total, Nancy stood to gain just over $1.5 million. That's not wow. too shabby, right? That would set her up, especially at 72. Mm-hmm. $1.5 million would go a long way. Enough to pay off debts and much more than she was making with her writing. Yeah. So are you ready for the biggest plot twist? Yes. For those that believe Nancy was the loving and doting wife, there was an essay that police found was written and posted by Nancy. In light of the suspicions surrounding her, the essay entitled, How to Murder Your Husband was an eerie commentary on Nancy's musings about how to get away with murder. What? She even titled it How to Murder Your Husband? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, Nancy. Even if it was posted seven years before the actual deed was done, still very, very suspicious. Yeah, absolutely it was. In 2011, when Nancy had started her novel, she also started writing essays. These essays she would submit as writing samples in order to apply to writing groups. And she would sometimes post these submissions on her website. On November 4th of 2011, she posted one where she outlined five motives for murder. Financial, cheating, falling in love with someone else, an abuser, or as a professional. And then she gave suggestions on weapon types for the killings, including guns, knives, strangulation, poison, or hiring a hitman. And of course, she addressed not getting caught because orange jumpers were not her thing. Are you serious? You have to read this essay. It is the craziest thing ever. And why would you ever want to encourage murder? It's just so crazy, right? Was she doing it for the shock value or? I think so. If you go back to that first publication, she published it just to be shocking. That's true. Mm -hmm. The navel to knees thing. Yep. In this essay, she admitted to spending a lot of time thinking about murder and the police procedures that would lead to getting caught. The first motive she lists for murdering your husband was financial gain. She commented that to pull off this particular murder, you would have to be organized, ruthless, and very clever, because the spouse would always be the first suspect. She wrote that divorce is expensive. Do you really want to split your possessions? Oh my goodness, Nancy! And when you publish something like this, it's like you're accepting murder, like Mm -hmm. you're encouraging people to do it. This is a viable option for your problems. Yeah. And this is why. Mm -hmm. Why take half when you can take it all? Exactly. So followed by that admonition, she suggests that a cruise ship would be the ideal location to get rid of an unwanted husband. (laughs) Because you can just throw him over the edge? That's what she said. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Nancy even went as far to comment on the weapons used, saying... Guns, loud and messy, and they require some skill. Knives, really personal and close up. Blood everywhere, ooh. Uh, your ooh. 
It was such a cheeky post. That is. Uh-huh. That was her reasoning of why a gun would be kind of better. You would require some skill, yes. But a knife would be too up close and personal and there would be so much blood that she was just not interested in. And as a woman, if you're trying to kill your husband with a knife, he can likely overpower you mm-hmm. yeah. for most of us women. So it was a cheeky post with a title and a subject meant to raise eyebrows, similar to her first college publication. Her books would also feature catchy titles like The Wrong Lover, The Wrong Husband, and Girl Most Likely To. Wow. She's been stewing on this for a long time, it sounds like. Those are all super leading titles in hindsight. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Right? It's just so mind boggling that she's writing about all of this stuff and that she's going to do it. The police would also find an article, How to Cover Up a Murder, on Nancy and Dan's shared iTunes account. And so because it was shared, they couldn't say that it was necessarily her that had it there. But you bet your bottom dollar that it yeah. was her. It wasn't Dan. No. No. She was just really good at researching her subject matter, I guess. And it's so eerie looking back to being able to hear about all these searches leading up to it. And poor Dan's just living his best life. He wants to buy a ranch with her and talking about all these retirement things and... She's sitting at her computer and he's thinking she's just doing her writing. But no, she's researching ways to kill him. Yep. Perhaps if she had spent more time actually on her real writing, her books would have been better liked. And she could have made more money with them. (laughs) Touche. So while police had no hard evidence to connect her to the crime, there was just way too much circumstantial evidence to ignore. On September 5th, 2018, just three months after Dan's death, police arrested Nancy and charged her with second degree murder. When they put the cuffs on her, she stated matter-of-factly, I guess you think I murdered my husband. (laughs) And no duh, they're putting cuffs on you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You think, honey? (laughs) Nancy was held at Multnomah County Jail, and her arrest came as a shock to all of Dan's family. In the months since his death, she had maintained her relationships with all of them and hadn't distanced herself at all after the funeral. She would call and text Dan's parents and even had visited them on a weekly basis. And just how sick to your stomach would you be knowing that you have comforted this woman after the tragic death of her husband? Well, I just thought, how cold hearted is that? How could she go and chat like she had done nothing? Yeah. Visit time and time again, see firsthand their grief and not cave in to tell them the truth or just run away. Yeah. Right. To keep up that facade. That's really cold. That is really cold to face that because most people could not. No. After a lengthy delay, mainly because of the pandemic, her trial began in front of a jury on April 4th of this year. During the delay, Dan's son, Nathaniel, filed a wrongful death suit against his stepmother for $1.7 million. Good. Clearly declaring his belief in her guilt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is so recent. So this is of this year, like just a couple months ago. Yeah. At trial, the judge did not allow Nancy's previous essay to be admitted as evidence. What? No, he said that any minimal probative value of the article written that long ago is substantially outweighed by the danger of an unfair prejudice and confusion of the issues. So he wouldn't allow the jury to hear it. Nancy continued to try and spin a tale, claiming that she had never told police about being at the school the morning of the shooting because she had suffered from shock-induced retrograde amnesia that erased her memories the morning that her true love died. Are you kidding me? Is she a romance novel writer or a soap opera writer? Exactly. Right? That's a pretty good stretch, but you could see how she would use that. Mm-hmm. The jury didn't believe the author's story about amnesia, nor did they buy her explanation that she had purchased an unregistered ghost gun kit and an alternative barrel for her 9mm pistol as a prop for inspiration for her next novel. 
They didn't believe her story about the only gun piece that police believed would tie her to the crime had been mistakenly lost in a move and not purposely destroyed. Oh, absolutely. When you and I are researching these cases, we are not ordering all of these weapons so that we can talk about it better. No, we're just wrestling with them. <laughs> yeah, well, you are wrestling. Well, those are your own weapons already. But <laughs> but we just do a little research and that's that's it. Yeah. Right? We're not having to order in all of these different things. No, but she researched very thoroughly for her novels. Nancy's lawyer did present an alternative story that Daniel had been the victim of a robbery gone wrong by a homeless stranger and that Nancy was too smart and too much of a planner to have left such an obvious trail that led to her. Nancy tried to explain away the prosecution's outline motive by saying that the couple's plan to sell their home would have taken care of any of their debts and that the insurance policies were investment-type policies that would pay an expected dividend if they were not cashed out, and the payouts were equal to the premiums that they would have eventually paid. And so really, these insurance policies she had set up as investment opportunities. Okay. And you can do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The defense's main argument was that the prosecution lacked definitive evidence and therefore it didn't have proof beyond a reasonable doubt that a loving wife would murder her husband for money. The jury didn't believe those stories either. Yeah, I don't believe those stories. I thought they put up a a good argument. Yeah, it would be hard. I mean, it's different when you're there as a jury member, but it would be hard not to have some speck of reasonable doubt. Mm -hmm. She's got a story for everything, right? She can explain away everything. And you can watch all of the trials, the hours and hours of trial on court TV. And they're fascinating. I enjoyed so much watching the interplay between the, the prosecution and the defense and how they presented their cases was so spectacular. So forget the Johnny Depp trial. People should have been watching this one. Yes, this one was so fascinating. She was found guilty of second-degree murder on May 25th, 2022 by a jury of five men and seven women after eight hours of deliberation. Despite all of her musings of getting away with murder, Nancy was undone by a large amount of circumstantial evidence that was left in the absence of direct evidence linking her to the crime. Nancy was sentenced to life in prison with no eligibility for parole for at least 25 years on June 13th, just a couple of weeks ago. That's wild. Yeah. So during the trial, Nancy had complained that the students that were brought in to testify and tell their story of how they had found her husband's body, Nancy complained about one in particular being overly dramatic and crying on command to elicit an emotional response. And that student shared an impact statement during the sentencing. And she said the image of how she found Dan's lifeless body was still vivid with eyes that she just cannot forget. She said his eyes were green and they were utterly heartbroken, utterly heartbroken because he knew who had done this to him. Yeah, she made a point of looking her husband in the eyes before she ended his life. She stood over him. Yeah. And how traumatic that would be. Especially this being her professor who she liked. He was her mentor. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And Nancy, all she could think to say was that, oh, they're just overly emotional. They're just crocodile tears. (laughs) No, honey, you just scarred these people for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy that you are now spending the rest of your life behind bars. Yeah. Nathaniel Stillwater, so Dan's son, made a statement as well at the sentencing hearing. He said, you executed my father in an act of cold-blooded premeditated murder. A man that did everything for you cooked your meals, washed your clothes, accepted your sedentary nature, supported your failed endeavors, and brought you into the warm embrace of our family. Your payment for decades of dedication, trust, and love plot his murder on Christmas Eve in the presence of his parents and his grandchildren. Wow. Because she had bought the gun 
on Christmas Eve, just before everybody came over to their house. That is so cold-blooded. Like, does she have a heart? She was very stoic during the trial. There wasn't a lot of emotion coming from her at all. Wow. But then people kind of chalked it up to how she was raised as well. She just was never an emotional person. But then you start to think, oh, is that maybe some of that psychopath personality coming yeah. out, right? and maybe because Christmas Eve, like Christmas is usually a time where even if you're having troubles in your marriage, Christmas, it can be rather be a huge stressor or it can be a time that you kind of come together even just for that holiday. Yeah, not Nancy. She was ordering guns to kill her husband. <laughs> Guess what you're getting for Christmas, honey, is what she was probably thinking as she's ordering it. Yeah. I think the most chilling thing she wrote when considering the context of her murderous portrayal was found in her author's biography. She writes, writers are liars. I don't remember who said that, but it's not true. In writing fiction, you dig deep and unearth portions of your own life that you've long forgotten or have purposely buried deep. And how true that proved to be. 100%. Well, they do say, write what you know. And that's what she was writing about. And that is the case of the organized, ruthless, and not-so-clever storytelling dirtbag Nancy Crampton Brophy. I wonder if she could have predicted the end of her own story. <laughs> Did she think she was going to get caught? I don't think anybody thinks they're going to get caught. No. When they commit a murder, or else you probably wouldn't. Especially she will likely, being 72 right now, being sentenced. The likelihood of her getting out is almost none. Yeah. And prison life is hard on a person and usually lowers your life expectancy. It was shocking, actually, to see the change of from her first trial appearances to her one on the 13th. Yeah, after spending four years in prison already. Yeah, yeah. how much she's already failed. For sure. So she actually tried to get bail during COVID, saying that she was at a higher risk for catching COVID being incarcerated, and that that should be why she was allowed to actually serve her time at her home so that she would be protected. And the judge was like, uh, no, you Sorry. can stay in there. Yeah. If you die from COVID, that's one less meal we have to pay for every day. <laughs> yeah. No. Not to sound heartless, but sorry. Oh, she was so cold hearted. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think her actual motive was to increase her book sales? No, I think money was her motive. Yep. But I think it probably did cross her mind because it seemed like she was crossing all her T's and dotting all her I's. And I feel like she must have thought about that. Well, I just find it so interesting that there's so many like little details in her books that actually she did in real life. That is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, she says right there, you write what you know, or that it's part of your life, what you're writing. Yeah. And what she was envisioning and thinking about. And her essay where she said, I've spent a lot of time thinking about murder and the police procedures and how to get away with it. Yeah, interesting. And she probably learned a lot from her first husband being a police officer. Yeah, it makes you curious. So like I said, I couldn't confirm officially that he was a police officer. But if he was, that would just give her even more insight yeah. to how those procedures would run. And more confidence that she wouldn't get caught. Mm -hmm. She was pretty clever, but changing out the barrel of the gun and... You know, leaving her cell phone at home. And and it sounds like they didn't find any super hard evidence. There was none. She wore gloves. There was no fingerprints left. There was nothing. She worked in that super, super tiny time frame that she had to be in and out. She knew certain spots of where not to park around the school so her van wouldn't be seen. And she knew to run back and establish an alibi with her neighbors as yeah. soon as she could get back. Yeah. Well, this is the tale of the woman who almost got away with murder. Yep. That's what she should retitle her essay, <laughs> How to Almost Get Away with Murder. <laughs> it's not something we recommend, listeners. No. Especially right now, as 
with inflation and the raising of prices, murder's not the answer. No. (laughs) We can figure something else out. (laughs) It doesn't work out. But even with all of her research and preparing, I always find it so fascinating that even she didn't know enough to just wait to claim the insurance. I know that is the downfall for so many. Like the next day, sometimes they're filing for the insurance. Yeah, they're just so greedy. Yeah, it's a total red flag. Mm -hmm. And most people, okay, if this is your love of your life, who you said on your Facebook post, the love of my life has been taking tragically, blah, 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 blah. But how much money am I going to get? Let me just, you know, take the time now. It took her 17 years to file her marriage papers. And what was it? Four days? Two days. Two days? Two days to put in that <laughs> workman's comp. That makes it so hilarious, actually. 17 years to file your marriage certificate, your marriage papers, but two days for the insurance. Yep. Yeah. It shows where, you know, when they say actions speak louder than words, even though she's an author, her actions are speaking louder than her words even. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, Nancy, honey. <laughs> Well, listeners, choose your actions well this week. That's right. (laughs) And we'll be back next week with another case. Be safe out there. See ya. Bye. listeners <laughs> there's not a lot else other than the <laughs> going on in that area even even oh i didn't turn my phone off for her sake i hope the latter <laughs> uh, i don't know the answer to that or is it dun 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 well, wait i actually put that in there christy you Just did wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh what i could accomplish if i were independently wealthy right <laughs> yes That's what everybody kills everybody for, no? (laughs) And on December 24th, Firth. But what if? (laughs) (laughs) A loving, doting, or sorry, not the husband. She was the wife. Hopefully no one tries to ever frame us because we'll be in trouble. Hey, we're live, pal, and we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Oh! 
Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.